Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. You may have noticed we had some delays that didn't actually get some episodes out that I was planning to get out. The holidays got in the way and did enjoy my time away from all of this, to be honest with you. But let's get back on track. We're discussing today the penultimate episode of the Loki series. After that, I will also be talking about other things I've been watching, including another episode of Rick and Morty. Very brief recap of that. Not that much to discuss there. And also, I watched, uh, over the long weekend, I watched The Tomorrow War, as well as Fear Street, the first Fear Street movie on Netflix, which I'll just kind of mention right now that I really didn't like it at all. <laughs> so I'll have the, my reasons why there, and maybe I'm not the right audience for it, but um, that'll be later in the episode as well. So specifically, where are we with Loki? Before we get into any kind of spoilers or any kind of detail, this is probably my least favorite episode of the show so so far, and not because nothing happens in it as a, my critique of the third episode where which I thought was pretty slow considering how abbreviated the season was to have relatively little action in that episode uh this one's actually maybe the opposite it's it's so packed with um uh, revelations and twists and character development and introducing new characters who may potentially just be here for one episode uh it felt so packed with things that nothing really served well it's not that the material is bad by the way uh I think that some of the character interactions are good. I think some of the emotional stakes are interesting. The design work of this, like, kind of uh, uh, the end of time, basically being consumed by this giant uh, cloud monster, is actually visually beautiful and inventive. It's just so overstuffed with so many things happening in, in what, I mean, minus credits is like 45 minutes, 50 minutes. It just really seems like way, way, way too much. And maybe uh, I feel like this is a, a pattern now with these three Marvel shows. Maybe Marvel is so much better at putting their stories into movie form as far as like boiling things down into a two and a half, three hour time frame for these massive uh, event pictures that they're struggling kind of in this in-between space, right? Where it's not really like a comic book where you can really drag stories on for over the course of an entire series or multiple series of comics, a very long, slow arc, uh, or like a very succinct beginning, middle and end in like a movie form they do seem to have a very uneven plotting in these shows. So that's my overall um, critique. Some of the weaknesses of this as an episode of television, purely, but as far as like uh, how it ties into what's going to pay off and as far as development of the characters and such, there's a lot of things that happen here, uh, and we'll get into that now. So now we're going right into spoilers, so I give you my very brief synopsis. So just warning you that now I'm going to get into the actual plot of the show. If you want to remain completely unspoiled before you view it, Make sure that you maybe pause now and come back later. So we start off pretty much exactly where we dropped off um, in the, the finale. As a matter of fact, it's the teaser scene pretty much from uh, the uh, the, uh, the uh, credit sequence from the last episode. It's pretty much where we pick up and we see Loki is in this place. I don't really know if they actually explicitly define what this planet is that they're on. But basically what it is, when anyone gets pruned, when anything gets pruned, and this kind of answers some of the questions I had from last episode, they all end up in this place, this planet, this point in time, whatever it happens to be. And everybody, everything uh, that gets pruned ends up here and is simply consumed by some giant, um, you know, bottomless pit <laughs> of need, which is some giant 
you know, monster of some kind that uh, consumes all matter. And it's being fed by the TVA since they basically send everything to it that gets pruned. And this is the end of time, right? This thing is going to basically consume everything and uh, whatever gets pruned is basically plucked out of its current moment in existence, thrown to this final moment in time and just is, you know, obliterated along with all of other creation at the same time. So uh, that's where they all are. Uh, Loki's being, uh, you know, very resilient, apparently, uh, have survived. So you see that, you know, the pruned Lokis, many of them, we'll find out, have uh, all kind of survived in this um, infinite end, basically. And they're surviving here. Um, some are working collaboratively, uh, others not so much. They're more like pirates. And uh, the, the main, that we've, the ones that we saw before, we have a, an older Loki variant. We have a young Loki variant. We have more of like a barbarian type warrior um, Loki variant. And then we have an alligator Loki variant. Yeah, question mark. Maybe a little too cute, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe, maybe this is kind of like a uh, wink at Into the Spider versus uh, Spider Pig. But still, maybe a little too cute for, a, <laughs> for not a cartoon. Um, but yeah, so we have this uh, alligator variant too. And they have some fun with it. So, you know, it's not totally wasted. Surrounded by variants of myself, plus an alligator, which I'm heartbroken to report I didn't even find all that strange. And now we're running from God knows what, trying to get to God knows where, but what I need to be doing is trying to find a way back to the TVA. Stop wailing or you will signal a lion. You mean the monster in the sky? And they basically get into a hiding place where they've been holding up. They kind of start to explain a little bit of their backstory. It turns out the younger... Loki variant. His nexus event was killing Thor. So he th killed Thor when he was still young, by the way. And uh, that was what led to him being pruned from the timeline. Uh, the older Loki has a very interesting backstory. Turns out that he basically was the Loki that we saw. I mean, he, he is, you know, almost uh, basically in a timeline that is almost identical to our Loki's timeline, where uh, everything happens. He's on the ship with Thanos at the moment where Loki's ne neck is broken in the uh, Endgame movie. Everything proceeded correctly my entire life until Thanos attacked our ship. So you, you didn't try to stab him? Uh, certainly not. But take no offense, my friends. The blades are worthless in the face of a Loki sorcery. They stunt our magical potential. But they look awesome. Oh, yes. Especially when they clatter to the ground just before your neck is snapped. I cast a projection of myself, so real, even the mad Titan believed it, then hid as inanimate debris. After I faked my death, I simply drifted in space, away from Thor, away from everything. I thought about the universe and my place in it, and it occurred to me that everywhere I went, only pain followed. So I removed myself from the equation landed on a remote planet and stayed there in isolation, in solitude, for a long, long time. How did the TVA find you? I got lonely. <laughs> to tell you the truth, I missed my brother, and I wondered if he missed me, if anybody else did. But as soon as I took my first steps to getting off the planet, the TVA arrived. Because we, my friends, have but one part to play. The God of Outcasts. Nothing more. 
Meanwhile, back at TVA, we see that Sylvie is fighting with Ravona, and Ravona betrays her, but Ravona does also seem to not know what's going on. So this is kind of something that we've been speculating earlier that she's in on this uh, con. It seems like she is also out of the loop on exactly what's happening. And Sylvie notices it before. And then B-15 as well, who's in prison currently, um, B-15 also mentions it to her saying like, why are you doing this? You want to know who's behind this also, don't you? And uh, <clears throat> so it may be that Ravona may still come into play here um, to help help them out at some point or to t help take down the TVA within the TVA itself. So Sylvie's cornered. Uh, Ravona seems to be working with her, although Sylvie's a little suspicious. And, uh, you know, basically it turns out she betrays her, but still the seed of doubt is in her mind and she now is working on this on her own. Sylvie takes traffic, drastic action. She realizes what's happening as far as she's a very clever one, by the way, probably the, definitely the smartest person on the show. And um, uh, she um, uh, knows right away that uh, there's only one way to reunite with Loki, which is to prune herself. And of course, she ends up with all the other Lokis and is actually about to be captured by this giant uh, cloud monster when she's uh, rescued by Owen Wilson. Uh, Mo Mobius uh, uh, arrives in a pizza delivery car and rescues her just in the nick of time. However, when she's in the middle of the cloud, just about to be consumed by this creature, she tries to mind meld with it and she sees something. She has a vision, potentially to enchant it, maybe take control of its mind. When I preened myself, I thought I might be able to find Loki. That storm, that thing's likely already got him. You really believe that? It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters now is getting out of here and finding out who's behind all of this. Great. How do we do that? We turn around. Turn around? We'll go back to the angry cloud? Yeah. I think it might be the answer. So um, that's where we are pretty early in the... Uh, actually, that probably takes us to about the middle of it. Meanwhile, uh, there's some drama with the Lokis. We finally see the Tom Hiddleston version of the Loki that we've been seeing in all of those teasers. If you have Disney Plus and you notice the banner, there is a Tom Hiddleston Loki, uh, a button, like a voting election button on his uh, jacket, and we finally see him. And just for a very brief amount of time, this seems to be probably like the 2012 unmodified version of uh, Loki, a variant that is very similar to maybe a younger version of uh, this current Loki. And he, of course, has you know, is betraying everybody. There's all these double crosses because even now, even at the end of time, even as everything worth of any value is being consumed and is going to be obliterated, there is still backstabbing and needling for uh, hierarchical, uh, um, you know, supremacy. So still so petty. And uh, you see our Loki, our Tom Hiddleston, uh, kind of roll his eyes like, oh my God, it never ends. So, um, so just the difference between the two of them but I'll just call it out now. But but this is something that I find a little too facile in this show. So another critique I have of the show. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to do this in a small amount of time. But just the, uh, to think that you have this version of Loki, and more than one, by the way, because they all turn on each other. Not all of them, but most of them. That are still so petty, like even as everything is about to be lost, just to get a, like, you know, one more... Uh, uh, inch of a uh, square foot of, 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 of territory, of, of power, of control, they're willing to betray everybody, uh, to be that utterly petty 
and to think that that pretty much was the Loki we knew from 2012. And that these like couple of friendships, you know, the friendship with Mobius and the friendship with Sylvie, that this like month or so of experiences has modified him so differently, so much, I should say. So that's a little too easy for me. I know it's, you know, it's necessary because, you know, we have to move on with the series and I'm okay with that. But like I said, if I just have to nitpick, that's definitely a nit for me to pick from a character perspective. Uh, the other general complaint I'd make here is with Hiddleston's performance in this episode. Like I mentioned a hundred times before, he's so great in this Loki, as this Loki character. He really is, you know, when he's conniving, when he is, uh, when he's got the upper hand on somebody, or even better, when he thinks he has the upper hand on somebody and he really doesn't, like that cockiness that kind of falls around him. All these things are so great to watch him perform. He really seems like he's flailing around in this episode. He's trying to make this material work. It's not his fault. I think that the it's very hard to put this much plot and these many elements into a single episode and to pull it off. So I really do feel him flailing about here. And like I said, this is not my critique of Tom Hiddleston as an actor. This is a very hard thing to pull off. And I, I don't think that them cramming so much stuff into a single episode and so many, you know, it's just too much. And it's a little bit of whiplash there. And I do feel like his performance, he's struggling a little bit to, to make this all work. So, you know, like I said, I don't think anyone else could have done it better. I'm not critiquing him as an actor. I'm just critiquing the, the that, that this is uh, difficult uh, and it shows, you know, it's, there's a lot of strain in the, in the script. But back to the plot, um, we've, uh, you know, we, we, we have the Lokis reunited. We have Mobius and Sylvie and, um, and our Loki all together now and out from their hiding place is this kind of rebellion among the Lokis. There is a funny sequence there where the alligator <laughs> bites the hand off of the uh, this Loki that we just met. What did you expect? That was not the bargain. I gave you our location. In exchange for shelter and supplies, you give me your army and I take the throne. Ah, yes. Not so good a bargain. How about this one? My army, my throne. About that. My beef-witted, half-faced scrubs. We had a deal! For sake. Why the hell is there an alligator in here? He's, He's a, a Loki! Then we have, you know, there's a couple of different heart-to-hearts here. There's um, a conversation between, uh, um, you know, as Sylvie and Loki are reunited, thanks to Mobius, and as kind of the, the, the gang all comes together and they're ready for this um, final battle, we have um, Mobius uh, returning to the TVA via a temp pad. I didn't know that was possible that you can do that, but I guess you can. We have Richard E. Grant the older Loki, coming up with a plan of his own. Originally, he's just kind of planning to run again, but he decides to help, and we'll talk about how he does that soon. We have young Loki, who uh, hands over his prized dagger uh, to Loki in case he needs it. Of course, we have Sylvie and Loki having a heart-to-heart, talking about what did happen between them, both too shy to actually admit their feelings for each other. Uh, they have a nice moment where uh, Loki basically materializes a blanket for the two of them because they're both cold and they have this little heart to heart and then uh the monster comes and is basically about to um eat them immediately when richard e grant uses his uh power to materialize basically a uh an illusion of asgard and that of course distracts uh, the creature which thinks it's real and immediately goes for it this allows um sylvie to start to mind melt with the creature and 
basically tells Loki that Loki can learn how to do this too. And Loki's figuring it out. Creature realizes the illusion that Richard e. Grant has, has cast, the older Loki, kills the older Loki, or appears to. Who, who knows? Maybe that was an illusion too, possibly. Maybe. Okay, I'll leave that open. But I do believe that this is kind of his, his sacrifice here at the end of his life, creates this illusion to, to create the distraction that they need. And then just as they're about to be consumed by the creature, we see them in this like nether realm, this like green cloud with like a city beyond it. And they approach that opening in the cloud and we realize that they are now inside the mind of the creature. So that's where we leave things. We have uh, Mobius apparently heading back to reunite with Renslayer and B-15, I would assume, uh, back at the TVA to figure out what actually happened. Ravona Renslayer has already requested the documentation from her little helper, the little uh, animated character, the, 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 uh, all the documentation from the formation of TVA. So I'm sure she's doing her research. Mobius is about to reunite with her. They will almost certainly release B-15 uh, for additional backup. And then maybe they'll be able to recruit more of, uh, with B-15 at their side, they may be able to recruit more of those soldiers. And they'll be working within the TVA. Meanwhile, the Lokis will be inside the mind of this creature. And from that end, they should be able to see what, you know, who did they bargain with? And what is this creature at all? I'm very curious to find out what this creature is. I have a feeling, this is just a personal thing for me because it may be pointless, but I have a feeling that there might be an interesting backstory to this creature also and how it originally, you know, it may have been humanoid in its original form. So anyway, I'm curious to see what that is, to see what that relationship is that it has with these, uh, whoever the true TVA controllers are, the man behind the curtain, as they say. This Once again, making another Oz reference. Yeah, and then see uh, how uh, Ravona and um, Mobius dismantle the system from inside. So that is all for the next episode. A lot of setup here. This is kind of an exhausting episode, not as elegantly done as some of the previous ones. And now just recapping the episode, honestly, I like almost all these beats that I described. My criticism is in putting it all into one episode where none of these things actually have a time to to stew, to uh, to fulminate, to have, uh, you know, to, to breathe enough to, to hit you in some way. It's just too much, right? Anyway, that's my personal opinion. And it's also my personal taste that I don't like things to kind of be this over overpacked. But still good stuff here. A lot of good setup for next week. And I'm still very, very interested to see how this ends. And even with a couple of week episodes, I still think this is the best of the MCU shows, uh, just to be clear about that also. So that is where we leave things. Questions I have, I really don't have that many questions. I mean, I think we're, you know, so close to the end. Kang could be the final master manipulator behind this whole entire thing. It's possible. It, you know, there's a theory going around that it could be another Loki, yet another Loki that's pulling all the strings. And there was some dialogue where Loki jokes saying like, oh yeah, it's me pulling all the strings. And uh, people have been reading that as saying like, oh, it could be the Lokis that are behind all this, that maybe somehow the Lokis hijacked the TVA at some point. But uh, this system seems to have been in place for so long. I don't think that's a, a real possibility. Kang, like people have been speculating, is possible, but he's so undefined. This could be an introduction to the character, but I think there has to be some additional, pay there has to be some payoff here that somehow ties into the audience's previous MCU loyalties and sympathies. So I don't know what it's going to be. That, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to find out that Kang, this is the introdu introduction to Kang as the next, you know, Thanos-like 
mega villain for the next cycle of movies. But I still think there's going to be something more, some additional twist that folds this into our previous, you know, loyalties that we have in in the series. And that I don't know what that's going to be. I think they probably have some additional trick up their sleeves and they're playing their cards close to their vests. So they haven't really revealed that. So I'm very curious to see what that turns out to be. And that's my theory. So we'll see how things go next week. And um, looking forward to it, of course, as usual. I mean, TVA had arrested a lot of Lokis, but no, I don't remember an alligator. I mean, who's to say he's even a Loki variant? He's green, isn't he? I don't know. He could be lying. The long con. Of course, that just makes him more likely to be a Loki. It's always the game within the game with you guys, which I respect. All right, so very briefly, topic number two. I have been simultaneously here discussing... Uh, Rick and Morty, uh, because um, they're basically these shows are running in parallel, and I'm a fan of both of them. And I mentioned after episode one of this season that after being a little off on the series last year, that I really, really liked the first episode of this season, and it, I put it like near the top, like it would be top twenty five percent, or or maybe even top fifteen percent of those previous Rick and Morty episodes. <coughs> <clears throat> And meanwhile, I would have um, put last week's episode very much in the middle. You know, a lot of good ideas, but a very middling episode. And maybe this is a surprise now. (laughs) This episode, I definitely put towards the bottom of Rick and Morty episodes. And I think most people would agree that this is a weaker, one of the weaker episodes of Rick and Morty. I think uh, the difference is with, I know of people who are Rick and Morty fans, is that their criticism of those shows. So for me, the lower tier Rick and Morty episodes are almost like, I, I feel like this is like beneath the show. <laughs> so maybe it's just not the show I want to see. Uh, why, whereas I know some people take these like kind of lower tier episodes. They're like, oh yeah, it's a little bit weaker. But it's but for me, mm, these episodes don't really work for me that much. And it's not that they don't have some interesting ideas here. They just really don't develop any of them. So this plot summary is going to be very, very brief. Uh, but what you basically have is you have um, uh, Rick and Summer, Rick's uh, granddaughter, heading off to three different planets. This is, ties into Loki, by the way. Three different planets that are all going to experience extinction-level events uh, simultaneously. So it's going to be a crazy weekend to just like get drunk and high and um, hook up um, with whoever you want because they're all going to die. So it doesn't matter. And um, uh, uh, and Rick and Summer, <laughs> very inappropriate for the grandfather to uh, have this experience with his granddaughter, but the two of them head out, and um, uh, to and and basically that's what happens, right? Summer is more uh, legitimately on this track to be like, you know, we're not gonna have any kind of emotional uh, connections. Rick falls in love with one of these aliens and kind of uh, brings her with him to other um, to these other uh, events, and. Um, and that's pretty much the show as far as they they go. And then this often is the case for these weaker, weaker episodes, by the way. I feel like there's not enough storyline for one thing. So they kind of split the, the team up. And that's kind of what happened here. So you have that's, that going on with uh, Rick. Uh, and then, not thematically linked as far as I can tell, you have a whole other storyline going on where Morty has basically... There's a true, uh, in this version of uh, the Rick and Morty show... There is a Captain Planet, Captain Planet-like superhero, uh, environmental, um, uh, ecological warrior, I'd say, right? 
who just like in the cart in that cartoon, if you guys remember that from a long time ago, that you have like these teenagers who have these different rings and they create this um, superhero from their different uh, uh, these power the powers they have uh, in, in unity in unison I should say, and um, so this this uh, superhero exists for real in this um, uh, in this version of the Rick and Morty universe. And basically, she falls in love with uh, Rick. Rick fall, I mean, uh, uh, Morty, I should say. M Morty falls in love with her. And um, first, it turns out she's like enslaved and she's being sold, um, you know, for marketing purposes. <clears throat> These teenagers are now older people, uh, as we actually meet them when they're older. They just, they're selling off um, Captain Planet as IP to um, some like Middle Eastern uh, sheik. And uh, Morty rescues her takes all the rings so she she can be free and um and of course there's a lot of really graphic murders this often is the case with these type of episodes by the way is that there's that's kind of where the payoff is is watching all these bad guys get killed in really grisly ways uh so they all die in horrible ways and then um and then on top of that uh, and this is maybe the only interesting idea in the whole entire thing is that it turns out that um this pla captain planet like uh character she is uh becomes now liberated becomes single-mindedly obsessed with saving the planet to the point where she is like killing minors she's she's killing like anybody who's any way in any way shape or form is doing something that's bad for the planet is now collateral damage right so she, she and uh, so so she takes things to extremes basically to the point where she's theoretically killing the very things that she might be wanting to protect and that like i said is maybe the only kind of somewhat interesting idea here and then morty can't deal with it he can't like can't deal with her being such an extremist so they break up and that's the end of the episode so like i said not great <laughs> i mean the comedy's not that great the gags are pretty weak and um yeah so this is very you know me this is mediocre at best for me it's one of the, the weaker episodes of rick and morty your mileage may vary um doesn't put me off on the show like i said there are stronger episodes there's weaker episodes they're not all going to be um considering their formula they're not all going to be off the charts great and uh we'll see I'll, we'll check in again next week and see what the next one's like all right topic number three the tomorrow war all right so here's another movie that i saw available on amazon prime for free if you have amazon prime you can watch it there this was originally going to be a theatrical release this is an incredibly expensive movie some 200 million dollars i believe uh and it shows the movie. So this is the, I, I'm not going to like this movie, by the way, just telling you right now, I don't like this movie, uh, but I like parts of this movie. And uh, this, uh, the budget shows, this is like a massive, massive um, uh, budget and it shows on the screen. And um, Chris Pratt plays a former veteran who's now a science teacher. That's correct. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's his biography in the movie. And uh, basically what happens is that we live, it's, it's present day, and uh, there is a uh, alien invasion that is killing everybody in the future. And there's only like half a million people left on Earth, something like that small. And uh, what they're doing is they are literally going back in time, and they are recruiting people to uh, basically throw at these uh, aliens in the future to... Um, uh, keep them busy. <laughs> so, so basically to potentially just extend or buy some time before they're all exterminated, which seems strange because you are potentially destroying uh, people in the past that you might need in the future uh, because they'll be dead in the future anyway. Anyway, so a little strange, this whole concept, but if you buy in on it, then uh, that's that's the concept. 
And what's basically uh, happens there, so the good and bad of it, the there's a lot of bad things here. I'll start with the good stuff. The good stuff is that the um, the future, uh, the action sequences, the future itself traveling into the future and like being dropped into this um, uh, situation and the, the way this is realized uh, is very well done. The director here is the same a person who directed um, the Batman Lego movie, which was also, it had very fun action sequences. If you've watched that, it has a lot of really fun action sequences. These action sequences aren't that much fun. I mean, it, it, compared to that, to, to the Lego movie, but they're intense and, and they're well, um, they're well um, put together. Uh, they're always, you know, you can, I mean, unlike you think about action movies like the Transformer movies or just Michael Bay movies in general, where the action is completely incoherent and impossible to follow. This is very succinct. The geography of the location they're in is very clearly defined. And this sounds like it's table stakes, but it's not true that people are incapable of making good action sequences nowadays. So this is actually a compliment I'm paying to the film. And the creatures, the creatures have an interesting design. The, the, their weaponry with these spikes that they shoot at is a little strange. I, I don't really think that that was necessary the way they defined that. But the actual look of the creatures is interesting and the way they move and they travel together and they attack people in the streets and, and things like that. It's it's very well uh, defi uh, defined and well designed. Uh, and those sequences are pretty cool. And they're pretty scary, by the way, these uh, aliens. So that is well done. I like the design work. I like the action sequences. I like the way the special effects and the practical like you know the, the the trucks being overturned and the monsters attacking them for example in the middle of broad daylight miami like these um, sequences look very cool on screen so that's very well done and honestly if that is what you want from an action movie you're going to be happy with this because that's pretty much what you get now i'm going to tell you all the things i don't like about it which are many first of all this movie is two and a half hours long i feel like why why would this movie ever be two and a half hours long it's unbelievable how long this film is and it just there's there's a moment in it like late in the game like you know almost two hours in where you realize there's a whole other like they almost have to like reset the plot at one point and i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> like that's all that's as far as we, we've gotten right now so it is um it's so long and it's too long for for what it is and then I have just like a hundred complaints about this script. Uh, first of all, you know, we all like Chris Pratt because he is, um, you know, charming and funny. And uh, what they've done is they've muted him down here. They don't want to make him a wisecracker here because, you know, they, they don't want that to be, you know, he doesn't, he probably didn't want to just do that shtick again. Um, but what's crazy about it is that uh, he still get some wisecracks in, not as many as you usually get, but then everybody else around him is a wisecracker also. They all now are suddenly all Chris Pratt's, like now everybody talks like a stereotypical Chris Pratt character, including Chris Pratt, and he's the one who's the least like it. It's like they tone him down a little bit, but they ramp up everybody else's wisecracks, so that is very strange. Also, the fact that these are like random people that they're throwing together supposedly, that all turn out to have like exactly the expertise they need to survive. It's just very strange, this whole thing. And then, um, you know, the this is a minor, well, I'm not going to spoil it. I'll leave it spoiler free. I have some minor spoilers already in what I've just described, but these have been very, very minor spoilers up to here. But let's just say that when Chris Pratt travels to the future, um, there's a relationship that happens there in the future that I really don't buy. And the fact that uh, Chris Pratt it, it takes multiple situations where he's willing to sacrifice himself when he is literally the only chance of the past being saved 
and potentially. Like he's so short-sighted to be like, hey, if you can save the past, none of these terrible things will happen. And he's just like, no, I got to go rescue that one guy, even if it kills me, even though I am literally the only person, apparently in this movie, in the face of the earth who can keep this thing from happening, I'm still going to risk my life to save that guy who's just a guy who, by the way, won't die if I can solve this thing in the past. It's nuts, right? And so frustrating to watch, to be honest with you. Like the motivation of it makes no sense at all. And you're like, okay, I don't understand why you would risk your life to save one person when you can save billions. But all right, fine. That's your choice. But uh, it just creates these artificial stakes that are so frustrating to me. And that was irritating throughout um, some of this character. I mean... J.J. Simmons is in there like for just a sequence at the beginning and then a sequence at the end. And that character is so contrived. <laughs> and once again, just there to serve plot late, much, much later, like well past the two hour point in the movie. It's it's crazy. The script is bananas. And it's amazing that someone took a script that on its face probably has all these problems I'm describing and they poured $200 million into it and made, by the way, spent that $200 million, spent it well. The special effects look great. The design work is great. The realization of the future cities and stuff is very cool. Uh, so they spent that money well, but <laughs> didn't even care to iron out some really, really basic things in the script before they make this investment. And boy, like there's so many frustrating things in this film that honestly, you could just cut stuff out and make a stronger film out of it. But um it's, uh, it's strange. Anyway, very strange. So a very middling review for me. Like I said, if you just uh, check your brain at the door, you're probably going to enjoy the visuals and things that you're going to see here. So uh, if you're going to, if you expect the, the plot to <laughs> make sense, <laughs> the character's motivations to make sense or anything else, then you're going to be disappointed. For me, I enjoy the spectacle, even though I can criticize all these other things. So it's very much in the middle, but I wouldn't really recommend it unless... Uh, like I said, unless the effects, uh, you're the type of person who uh, the effects outweigh all the other things, then if that's the case, then you're probably going to enjoy this. Um, and then my last review, I'm all, I, I don't like to just bash something just to bash it, but it's going to be Fear Street 1994. Um, and I'm just going to bash this movie, but I, I don't like to criticize something just to hate on it. Uh, the only reason I'm calling it out is because the reviews for this thing have been very, very good. And and that's the only reason I bothered to to watch it. Also, because I was curious about seeing this, like, you know, a three-movie cycle about one story, which sounds interesting. And also, you know, you only have to wait a week in between. So usually you have to wait years for these type of horror franchises to, to, to do this type of thing. So I was curious. It sounded like an interesting experiment. But boy, I I, I this thing is so difficult to 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 watch. And I honestly, um, uh, you know, uh, don't get where the positive reviews are coming from. I assume, uh, not only assume, I'm pretty certain that the um, uh, the good reviews it's gotten are purely um, uh, nostalgia based, because this one is set in 1994 and uh, very much is aping Scream in its look and its feel, and uh, even some of its uh, plot contrivances. And uh, you compare that, and the next one is going to be set in 1978. And the preview, once again, for that one looks very good. Um, you know, design work, uh, it looks like Camp Crystal Lake, you know, Friday the 13th. And even the the, um, the killer has that um, design as well, similar to the Jason Voorhees uh, makeup from the original, or from the second movie, I should say. So it's pastiche. It's just, you know, using, but, but I honestly for this specifically and i haven't seen the next one I, I hear that the other ones are better to be honest with you that's what the some critics have seen all three and have been saying that the, the later ones are actually better than this first one but i really couldn't stand this one i 
you know, uh, and I'm, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, <laughs> but because I've recently seen uh, the first Scream, which I saw in theaters years ago uh, and really liked. And I recently saw it again with my nephews and really enjoyed it again. Um, and this is just a few years ago. So I feel like this is purely just writing like, hey, look, this feels like a Scream movie, but it's not. And that's all they're, that's all they're doing. Uh, they have a super, supernatural element, by the way. It's not a, a spoiler because it's in the actual title sequence of this movie. There's a witch curse that is involved in some way. I'm not going to tell you exactly how, but, but like I said, you'll know within 10 minutes of watching the movie, but that's the underlying, that's the underlying uh, mythology. Um, but yeah, it, this film was so not enjoyable to me. It, it actively made me dislike the kids. The kids are all sociopaths. They're all literally trying to kill each other. <laughs> so it's like, why am I rooting for these kids when like have having their way, <laughs> they'd probably end up killing the same kids that are getting killed by this uh, monster. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't get it. And like I said, I only call this out because I do not understand what the... Uh, the appeal of this is and the reviews have been very strong and i'm like what are you talking about i cannot this is one of those things where i cannot understand what the critics are seeing my only explanation for this is that this is very much it was written by rl stein by the way not well i mean rl stein's like basically a a, a factory not a person but it comes out of that same goosebumps like factory and uh and I guess that's that could be the audience for this, right? So if you like the nostalgia for the 90s, if you're t like nostalgic for the 90s, and you grew up on Goosebumps, then this is like a more mature Goosebumps. And I guess that would be how you could possibly watch this and enjoy it. So if you're a hardcore Goosebumps fan, and you're, but for me, I did not grow up on Goosebumps, uh, and I did like scream but you know all the scream knockoffs that came afterwards didn't like those uh so i didn't enjoy any of those uh i mean i i take that back um you know the i like some of the scream sequels and uh but most of the knockoffs you know like the valentines and i know you did last summer those are all terrible and diminishing returns definitely as that went on so yeah that that wore out it's welcome pretty quickly and honestly this is weaker in my mind this is weaker than the scream knockoffs that came and those were pretty bad <laughs> so once again your mileage may vary if you like all the scream knockoffs that came for decades to come this is more of the same with a supernatural bent if uh, you're like well i like scream one and two and that was out then you're not going to like this i don't think unless you like our huge goosebumps fan but then that's what's crazy i mean and i know by the way as i say this i know that the the show itself the the series this movie is doing very well on netflix you can see Netflix has their top 10, and it's always up there. You know, it's just come out a week ago, so I guess uh, it all depends on whether this thing has any kind of legs or not. We'll see how the, the series plays out to see if people stay engaged. But it does seem to be getting buzz, and it does seem to be getting viewership. And once again, I don't even know who the audience for this is. It's way too grisly. Th this movie would only be scary to someone like my daughter's age, like someone six to eight years old, like a Goosebumps audience, right? Like just kids who are just starting to get into horror. This would be scary to them. And that's honestly the only um, people that I can um, imagine uh, being actually scared by this. But at the same time, it has extremely graphic gore. It has sexual content it has you know the, the two of the protagonists are drug dealers so 
it obviously is not appropriate for kids that age. So I'm like, who is this for? If I'm an adult, <laughs> none of this is going to be scary at all. And these kids are going to be really, really annoying to me. And if I'm a kid, this is too mature for a kid. So I don't even know who this, this movie is for. Um, yeah. So, you know, sorry to bash. I mean, I, I don't want to just, like I said, I, I, I honestly don't have anything positive to say about this, um, uh, except for maybe that there is a shape to this in the next couple episodes that are are better. Oh, and I will say one mildly positive thing about it, which is the very last moments set up the next movie in a way, or t I should say set up a through line that will run into the next movie because the next movie actually takes place before this one. So that is interesting. I am kind of curious to know if they're able to actually pull these stories together. So that's interesting. So, so that's the one positive thing I would say. And maybe there is a shape to this thing that has some value later on. But like I said, I really did not enjoy watching any of this. Um, so, so that's my very negative review of that. So that's it for this episode. Uh, we, uh, I will see, uh, hopefully, we will have Ray back to give us a deep dive into comic book into the comic book lore behind some of these events that we saw today on Loki and some speculation, additional speculation for anything that might be coming in the next episode. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to record tonight and we will get that to you pretty quickly later this week. Um, also, those music episodes, I keep promising them, but just trust me, it takes a long time to put those music episodes together. There's a lot of editing. Um, so I do apologize, haven't come out yet. And I did want to take a little bit of a break during the holiday weekend. But those episodes are coming, and there'll be a lot more music episodes. So we're, you're probably going to expect to see some changes to the format of the show. Um, the recap episodes will probably be consolidated down, and we're going to have more of those music. Just more of the type of conversations I like having instead of chasing after just doing more recaps or just kind of talking about what's happening in the current culture. Having conversations about topics that are kind of multi-generational and things that I think will still have value in the future when we when we review those conversations so expect to start seeing some of that music conversation coming soon also movies we're going to be talking about some of these kind of classic movies and uh, having that um, conversation as part of these episodes as well oh and lastly of course as you may have noticed that there was no evil recap this week don't worry we will be back once again son and i were on vacation uh and we did discuss it yesterday put getting together to record something so we will be doing a recap of both this episode and next week's episode in next week's recording which will be available next sunday or monday or this coming sunday or monday so there will definitely we will still continue to have those conversations and uh, expect to see that um, later in the week or by the end of the weekend i'd say once the next episode is available there as well so expect to see more of all those things and I'll talk to you soon.